0: was that we're all pushed a little bit closer, closer to Jesus, and that we're all challenged to not just conform to the patterns and thinking of our world, and the patterns and thinking that are natural to us, so that we may be transformed by the Holy Spirit, because if we're not open to the Spirit's transformation, we'll stay the same, amen? And as we're transformed by the Holy Spirit, I believe it is then our minds can be transformed by God, so that we can do His good and perfect will, amen? This morning, we're going to learn together what it means to be a child of God, We're going to comb the scriptures, we're going to submit our heads, our hearts, our hands to what the Lord has to say to us, amen? So what does it mean to be a child of God? See, that's a question we wanna unpack this morning. It's a good question, not just because I'm asking it, but it's a question so good that in a room full of you good Christians like we have this morning, you will get a lot of answers and some might even be right. What does it mean to be a child of God? Some might say it means that almighty Yahweh creator God calls me his child. I know him, I love him, I trust him, and I have peace in knowing he has been there for me in the past, he is here for me right now, and he will be there for me tomorrow. Amen? What does it mean to be a child of God? Some might say it means that Jesus Christ, holy and anointed one, calls me his child. I know him, I love him, I trust him, and I have peace in knowing that his birth made God flesh, that his life taught me how to live, that his death paid the price for my sin, and that his resurrection, his resurrection sets me free to be with him now and forever. Amen. What does it mean to be a child of God? Some might say it means that the holy and perfect spirit of God calls me his child. I know, I love, and I trust the spirit of God. I have peace that the spirit conforms and transforms me into the image of Christ. It illuminates the scriptures by opening my eyes and my heart, and it gifts indwells, and empowers me. Amen? What does it mean to be a child of God? Many of us would be in the right giving some semblance of these answers. What does it mean to be a child of God? Many of us would say a great many things, and again, a few of us might be right. But what does it mean to be a child of God? I wonder how many of us would not just make it about answering for me, myself, and I. And I wonder how many of us, in today's true postmodern fashion, would answer that question, what does it mean to be a child of God, with a question. What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, what did Jesus say? You know, I think you can never go wrong starting with, well, what did Jesus say? What does it mean to be a child of God? How did Jesus answer that question? What does he say it means to be a child of God? See, if we take the onus off of us, off of ourselves, off of me, myself, and I, if we gift the question to him and place that question at his feet, we will find, we will find that Jesus answers, what does it mean to be a child of God by simply saying this? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, according to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as illuminated by the Spirit in the scriptures, those same scriptures that are breathed by God the Father, what does it mean to be a child of God? It means to be a peacemaker. Peacemakers. Those who live and work to pursue peace for the glory of God. Peacemakers. Peacemakers will be called the children of God. Our Father and God, we thank you this morning for the chance to open your word. We thank you this morning for the chance to come before you. We pray now that you open our hearts, that you open our minds, that you open our thinking, that you open our lives, and help us to know that your children are peacemakers. Help us to live as you've called us. In your holy and precious name, amen. As Keith gets it up there, this morning we're going together to explore and learn our next Brethren in Christ core value, pursuing peace. Again, this is part of our continuing effort to learn what does it mean to be brethren in Christ, to continue to examine these core values, the beliefs that make us who we are, the truths that we desire to be so self-evident among us, the essence of who God has called us to be before him and before our world. Like I've stated before, knowing our history is only half the battle. The second part is learning what it means to be brethren in Christ, is knowing our values, knowing the things we hold dear, knowing the truths that we live to set forth, the central beliefs that make us who we are. My goal this morning is for us to examine this belief that is so etched in our DNA that they encompass who we are as the brethren in Christ. Now, I remember our core values were born of the Holy Spirit with reliance on God. They were born after studying the scriptures together. They were born after prayerfully together seeking insights from God and how he has revealed himself to us in our history, in our tradition, and even today. This morning, we will examine our eighth core value. Please read with me. Pursuing peace. We value... I'm making sure you guys did. I'll start over. I didn't hear you. Please read with me. Pursuing peace. We value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict. You know, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, you either have been ignoring what you see in the mirror. My wife said not to put that in there, but I thought it was funny. (laughs) If you don't think God has a sense of humor, you either have been ignoring what you see in the mirror for far, far too long, or maybe you haven't been following God long enough or close enough. I say all that to say this, it's not lost on me (laughs) that the Lord has led us to the core value of pursuing peace on this, the eve of Memorial Day. You know, the National Day of Remembrance, where we commemorate the brave men and women who died fighting America's wars. Oh, hey, tomorrow's Memorial Day. Great. It's time for you to preach on peace and how all my children are peacemakers. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, for some of us, Memorial Day is the unofficial start to summer, We open the pool, we invite friends and family over for a barbecue, we enjoy good food and fellowship, we play games, we have a wonderful day, off from work, but enjoying many of our blessings. It's a good, good day. But for many of us, Memorial Day is a hard day. It's a tough day that forces us to remember a sister or brother, a mother or father, a family member or friend, young and old, seasoned and new all of them brave, and all of them who died on the battlefield. For these sisters and brothers, Memorial Day is not just about the picnic and the fun, it's about remembering the fallen and commemorating their life and service. Nevertheless, while we honor those who have fallen and gone before, while we honor their bravery, their struggle, and their sacrifice, we must never forget We must never forget Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, our citizenship is no longer primarily in the United States of America. No, our citizenship, the Bible says, is now in heaven. Our country is not the United States of America. Our country is God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So while it's important to memorialize and commemorate America's soldiers, to memorialize and commemorate our mothers and fathers, our sisters and brothers, our family members and friends, it is even more important that their sacrifice, that their sacrifice implores us to pursue peace. It is even more important that in our culture that too easily honors violence and aggression as answers we stop to say no. No, no, because in Christ Jesus, we honor and work for peace. Amen? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Amen? Besides, this sermon on peace might offend or at least challenge most of our longstanding beliefs and some of our heartfelt sensibilities on life. I know it challenged me, and that's actually my prayer this morning, that we're offended enough to be challenged and that we're open enough to let God have his way in us, amen? Amen. In her chapter in Focusing Our Faith, the book on Brethren in Christ's core values, Harriet Bixler write, it is easy and common for almost anyone to say that he or she wants peace. Who doesn't? But it is not so easy or common to believe that Christians can practice and boldly give witness to life-saving and life-giving alternatives to conflict and aggression. You hear what she's saying? Anybody can say they want peace, anybody, but not everybody. And this breaks the Lord's heart, I believe. Not even Christians are willing to boldly give witness and honor Christ's call to go and make peace. Peace with God. Peace with self. Peace with neighbor. Peace with enemy. Peace with family. Jesus reminds us that the peacemakers will be blessed, that the peacemakers will be the ones who are called the children of God, not simply those who want peace, not simply those who see peace as this ideal that we can never reach because it's an intangible reality. No, blessed, blessed are those who do not simply want peace. Blessed are those who do not see peace as this intangible reality. No, blessed are those who live to make peace. Amen. The brethren in Christ believe on the importance of pursuing peace is more than 200 years old. Our earliest confessions or the written summaries of what we say we believe forbid believers in Christ Jesus to use the sword, to use violence or aggression, for revenge, for defense, for anything. We follow Jesus, who called us to love our enemies. We follow Christ, who chose peace and reconciliation over violence and destruction. Now, some have said and some will say, and you might be thinking this morning, well, what about the Old Testament? What about the violence we see littered all through those pages? Well, no Christian, no Christian ever and no Christian to come will ever claim that in the Old Testament, that's the complete revelation of God. Think about it. This morning, we do not gather here with billions around the world to worship Abraham, to worship Moses, to worship David or Amos, to worship Daniel or Jeremiah. No, we gather here today and around the world, and we have for thousands of years, and we have until Jesus come, to worship Jesus our Christ for Jesus he and he is Lord alone and he alone is the complete revelation of God for Jesus and he the Lord alone does the Old Testament point to and does the Old Testament hunger for for Jesus and he the Lord alone that's where our faith rests and it is Jesus we worship and it is Jesus we follow and it is Jesus who is God amen pursuing peace has always been foundational to our understanding of Christ and the gospel he's blessed us with. Yes, as the apostle Paul once proclaimed, Christ is indeed our peace. We who were far away have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were yet sinners and enemies of God have been reconciled back to God our Father and yes, even back to one another. We pursue peace because children look like their parents. We pursue peace because Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's the Prince of Peace. We pursue peace because throughout our world, we hunger for it. But we must realize that in and of ourselves, apart from Christ, the world might starve for peace. Because man's way will always lead to destruction and violence and aggression. We pursue peace because we desire to look like our God. Children look like their parents. We desire to look like our God. And children are blessed to share in some of the characteristics of their parents. As Christ the Son proclaims us blessed, when we are peacemakers, because in living and working for peace, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we look more like God our Father, as we look more like the Son. But then comes the question, how exactly do we pursue peace? Simply put, we value all human life. And how do we work out that in our everyday scenes? How do we live as peacemakers every single day? We do so by promoting forgiveness. We do so by living to understand one another. We do so by living as reconcilers. We do so by working for nonviolent resolution to conflict. Amen? We pursue peace because we desire to look like God our Father. We heed and submit to the example of Jesus our Christ. We pursue peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he calls us to be peacemakers. Amen? And how do we pursue peace? We do so by valuing all human life. We value all human life. It sounds so good, doesn't it? It's so easy on the ears, right? We value all human lives. That's a nice bumper sticker. We can all get behind that, can't we? We can all get behind that until we recognize what it means to value all human life. Hey, hey, what do you think about abortion? We value all human life. Hey, what about the guy who breaks into my house? We value all human life. What about capital punishment, the death penalty? We value all human life. What about euthanasia? We value all human life. What about the young single mother on welfare, or the elderly man on social security, or the immigrant who crossed my borders? We value all human life. We value all human life, not just some human lives. Not just the ones we personally prefer. Not just the ones our politicians tell us to value, not just the ones our families teach us to value, not just the ones we think are worth valuing, and not just the ones that look like us. No, as brethren in Christ, we value all human lives. Amen? Amen. And that means that we must love the babies before and after they're born. It means that why, yes, we must create a countercultural society that does not bow down to the God of choice, that remains exalted in America, we must also be willing to love, to welcome, to adopt, and to make a home for these same mothers and babies. Amen? It means we must lose the foolishness that this world implores that, that we need to stand our ground. We must lose that freedom that this country gives. The freedom that allows you that for the sake of protecting your things, you get to harm others. For the sake of protecting yourself, you get to harm others. Let us not bow down to that freedom either. All life is precious, even the one who breaks into my house and steals my television. All life is precious, even the one who desires to harm me. For I know where I'm going. All life is precious. All life is precious. We value all human lives because every human being is made in the image of God. This is why we must pray for the Osama Bin Ladens. This is why we must pray for the Jahars Arnaevs. Our state might pronounce death upon every criminal that lay among us, but our job, our ministry, is to pray for their salvation because everyone is made in the image of God and no one, not Osama, not Jahar, not Idi Amin, not Adolf Hitler, no one is beyond the love and forgiveness of our God. Amen? And perhaps most of all, we must teach and challenge one another to value all life like Jesus values every person. We must teach our people that violence acted out on others. That's not the answer. We must teach our people that violence acted out on ourselves. That's not the answer either. Every single person is made in the image of God. As brethren in Christ, we value all human lives. Amen? Amen. We are peacemakers here not only in valuing life. We are peacemakers here not only in opposing decision or choices that take life. No, we are peacemakers if we are willing not only to let our voices be heard, but if we're willing to let the voices of the suffering be heard as well. We're peacemakers when we fight for the quality of life of all our sisters and brothers. We're a peacemaker when we lose the language of entitlement, the language of privilege, and we adopt the humility of Jesus our Christ. Because remember, brothers and sisters, Jesus does not simply see the hungry. Jesus does not simply see the thirsty, the immigrant, the naked and weak, the sick, the imprisoned. No, no, Jesus said to his peacemakers, when I was hungry you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger or an immigrant, you invited me in. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. When I was sick, you looked after me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. We are peacemakers when we crucify both our entitlements and our privilege. We are peacemakers when we adopt the humility of Christ. The humility that allows us to love and serve, not simply the hungry, to love and serve, not simply the thirsty, the immigrant, the naked, the weak, the sick, the in prison. We are peacemakers when we serve our brothers and sisters. Because remember, in Christ Jesus, we are one. In Christ Jesus, we are a family. In Christ Jesus, you don't serve the least of these. There is no least of these in the family of God. In Christ Jesus, you're serving your brothers and sisters and serving Christ himself. Amen? Amen. We are peacemakers not only when we value all life, but when we teach our children to do the same. We are peacemakers not only when the state hears us, but more importantly, when we cry out to God for boldness and power to speak the truth in love and to shine our lights in the very dark. We are peacemakers, and our king blesses us so that we will love and shine. So that, And when we love and shine in our everyday scenes, all life is valued. And all life is valued when we are peacemakers, and then because we are being the lights that ascend straight down from heaven to earth. Why are we peacemakers? We are peacemakers because that is what a child of God looks like. Amen? Amen. Whenever we talk about the value of life, everyone has the big questions. Like I stated before, hey, what do you think about abortion? We value all human life. Hey, what about the guy who breaks into my house? We value all human life. What about capital punishment or the death penalty? We value all human life. What about euthanasia? We value all human life. What about the single mother on welfare, the elderly man on social security, the immigrant who crosses my borders? We value all human life. Amen? But see what I love about the brethren in Christ is that while we'll answer the big questions, empowered by the Holy Spirit, confirmed by the body, the fellowship of believers, we live. We live to try and work out our faith in the day to day. Amen. This is because the best theology, the best belief, it's often not the ones we write down on the paper. It's often not even the ones that comes out of our mouth. No, the best theology, the best beliefs is the one that we live out the one that comes out of our innermost being the one that we do on the regular in our everyday scenes this is why we pursue peace by valuing human life and to do so to do so we do four things we promote forgiveness we seek to understand one another we live as reconcilers and we work for nonviolent resolution to conflict you cannot be a peacemaker simply said if you do not promote forgiveness you cannot be a peacemaker in your everyday life, in your everyday scenes, if you remain unwilling to forgive. Peacemakers forgive. Forgiveness. We know all about it, don't we? We serve and worship a king whose entire life was founded on forgiveness. God sent him into the world for us. He lived to show us what forgiveness in flesh looks like. He died because he alone could be the payment for our sins. He died so that we can be forgiven. And as Christians, we know. We know to pray, asking for our forgiveness while what? While we forgive others. And the Lord himself reminded us, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And then we forget this next part. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. You can even argue that when Jesus answers Peter, how many times must we forgive? Jesus' answer is more than, you know, 70 times 7. Jesus' answer is always. So those of you who are counting to 490 for your siblings, you can stop now. The point is we are peacemakers. And as peacemakers, we are called to forgive. Not three, not seven, not 77, not even 490 times. No, we are called to forgive always. Now, this does not mean forgiveness is easy. It does not mean we forget how hurt we are and how hurt we remain and how hurt we were in the past. It does not mean that we don't have to be careful about who we trust or that people won't have consequences for their actions. It does not mean that our words in forgiving one another is some kind of magic remedy or portion and then we're set free. But still, we are called to be peacemakers. And when we forgive, we are being like the Father, and we are being like Jesus. When we forgive, we allow God to heal us. We allow the Spirit to come in and to start making us and even our relationships anew. When we forgive, we do not hold on to the bitter anger, the bitter resentment. We do not seek vengeance. We don't even seek to personally punish the person. When we forgive, sisters and brothers, we set ourselves free. When we become free, it's because quite often when we refuse to forgive our clenched fists and our closed hearts, they become poison that we willfully self-indulge in. And this kind of poison troubles our souls. And this kind of poison destroys our relationships. And if we're honest, this kind of poison destroys ourselves. Forgiveness is not easy, and that's okay. Because to forgive, to truly forgive, we must let God work in us, amen? And when the Lord has his way in us, we can let go of that anger and resentment and we can start to walk that road to healing, that road to growth, that road to restoration, that road to redemption, amen? You know, we must also, do, be, we must also be peacemakers by doing the hard work of trying to understand one another. This means that sometimes, and I need this more than anybody else, we need to do more listening than talking. This means that all the time we need to do more praying to the Lord than praying on the weaknesses of those we see as inferior than us. This means that we must intentionally walk a mile or two in the shoes of our sisters and brothers to help this false reality that we hold on to of us and them. See, because in Christ Jesus, there is no us and them. In Christ Jesus, there's only one, one family, his family. Amen. Amen. See, because we need to stop complaining about the darkness and start working to be the light. You've heard me sing that tune before, and I'm convinced I will sing it many more times still, but it all comes down to this. Before complaining about the breakdown of the family, be a mentor to a young adult. Before complaining about the single mom on welfare, become her cheerleader and her friend. Before worrying about the immigrant and all things that he and his family may or may not be taking from you, realize that we're all immigrants to this country. And even deeper than that, We are all immigrants to this world because our home is not the United States of America. Our home is not Harrisburg. Our home is not Pennsylvania. Our home is not the physical that remains so easy to see. Our home is Christ's kingdom that is coming and that's already come. We, the children of God, are peacemakers. And to make peace, we must make the time to understand one another. We must make the time to get to know one another. We must make the time to hear each other's stories. We must make the time to laugh and to cry together we must make the time to eat and to serve one another we must make the time to walk and to pray for one another amen Amen. and to be peacemakers we must be reconcilers simply put there is way too much in this world that the world uses to keep us separated we are separated this morning in america by race and ethnicity We're separated by countries and language. We're separated by education and socioeconomic status. We're separated by occupation, by beliefs, by political parties, and so much more. And that's not even to speak of the sin and the sins that sometimes separate and keep us separated from one another. But the scriptures remind us we are compelled to live for God and one another because Jesus has come. We are compelled to love God and one another because that is how Jesus lived. We are compelled to serve God and serve one another because Jesus died and was raised not for one, not for me, but for all and the world. Jesus came and he died and was raised for the Jew and also the Gentile. For the male and also the female, for the black, for the white, for the brown, for the yellow, Jesus came for the world. We say, yes, Jesus loved me, but I hope we raise up a generation that says, yes, Jesus loves us. And before returning to glory, we remember that before returning to glory to prepare heaven for his disciples, those who believe, we got that part right, but also those who believe and follow it's not just about what you say. Those who believe and follow him, Jesus committed to us something Paul calls the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation. This means that part of our work here on earth, part of what God has called us to do, part of how we live and love and shine our lights for the glory of our God and King is to be reconcilers. We are called to be reconcilers, amen? See, for the most part, we understand that Jesus makes it possible for us to be right with God. We got that one. However, what we often forget is that Jesus also went to Calvary's tree so that we can be in a right and restored relationship, not just with God, but with one another. That's the full message of reconciliation. This is why, in Christ Jesus, we are no longer females or males. We are sisters and brothers in the family of God. This is why we are no longer defined by our race or ethnicity. We are the chosen ones, the ones from every nation, the ones from every tribe, the ones from every tongue, the ones from every people, every language. This is why we are no longer poor and rich as defined by the world or our income tax. No, We are children of the king who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, amen? We are children of the king who spoke the world into existence, amen? We are children of the king who says, my kingdom has come and it's coming. We are children of the king, the one who looks down proudly and lovingly calls us his children as he welcomes us back home. We are reconcilers, amen? Amen. Be reconcilers. Where there are differences, bridge the gap. Bridge the gap by losing us and them. Bridge the gap by being intentional in every conversation. Bridge the gap by not just having acquaintances, but genuine relationship with brothers and sisters who are different than you. Bridge the gap by losing prejudices and recognizing that in this family, when you hurt, I hurt. And when I hurt, you hurt. Bridge the gap. Bridge the gap because our Father, doesn't, our Father God doesn't just love me, He loves us. Jesus came not only for me, but really for all of us. And the Spirit doesn't just live in me. The Spirit doesn't just live in my culture. The Spirit isn't just with my people. No, the Spirit lives in us. The Spirit is alive in every culture, and the Spirit is alive in everybody's everyday scenes. Bridge the gap from look how different we are to let's live, let's love, and let's serve together. Because in Christ We are one. We are his body. We are his family. And you know the best way to bridge the gap? I think the best way to bridge the gap, St. Augustine, my favorite African theologian, most of you didn't know he was African, but that's okay. We won't be slighted. St. Augustine said, the best way to bridge the gap is to be a home and a hospital to the world all around you. See, our God is in the healing, redemption, restoration, renewing, and yes, especially the reconciling business. And so must we. In our community, in ourselves, and yes, in our world, we must be the hospital that helps bring healing and restoration while welcoming all our father's lost children back home again. We, the church, we, the peacemakers, must continue to not only be a hospital, but also a home for all of the father's lost children. As a hospital, We must be reaching out and making ourselves available to bring healing to the wounded, to the beaten, and to the broken of our world. As a home, we must become the place and the people where the lost can find themselves as God called and created them. We must become the place and the people where the stranger, the immigrant, is made your brother and sister. We must become the place and the people, the home where Christ who holds us together is stronger than anything this world uses to keep us apart. Amen? Amen? How are you being a home and a hospital to the people around you? How are you being a home? How are you living together for one another? We are called to be reconcilers, and if you want to be a peacemaker like the child of God you are, you must become and remain a reconciler. Amen? And the final way we live to be peacemakers is, to, and to show that we are indeed the children of God and Father, the last way is to work for nonviolent resolution to conflict. Nonviolent resolution to conflict. For many, this is what seems the most impossible. See, I can try to forgive. See, I can try to understand. See, I can try to reconcile. But sometimes you just got to fight. That's the devil speaking. That's the United States speaking. You need to take a step back and say, what does God say? And then what does God model and example? That's the flesh speaking. What is the Spirit saying to me? Nonviolent resolution to conflict. For many, this seems like the impossible. It seems even some would say implausible. It sounds more fairy tale than my everyday reality. You don't know my sister. You don't know my mother. You don't know my boss. You don't know my ex-husband. However, nothing. Nothing, I mean nothing, is impossible with our God. Amen? The Lord will not ask of us what we are not capable of. And lastly, we are not left alone on this. Yes, conflict comes. Conflict will arrive at your doorstep. Conflict might arrive at my doorstep tomorrow morning through an email. We'll be all right. I almost gave that to Pastor Linda, but I think Pastor Woody left her too much. Conflict comes. Conflict will arrive at your doorstep. Conflict comes from closeness of relationship. closeness of working together conflict comes from betrayal conflict comes from sinning against god conflict comes from sinning against one another conflict comes nevertheless when conflict comes we do not get to stop being christ-like in fact when conflict comes we are implored to be even more like jesus our christ now we all know that famous passage you know our brother stole my thunder early earlier this week at a seminar but if you weren't there you, you didn't hear it, so it's okay Now we all know the famous passage. When Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am right there among you. Now we like to use that a lot for when we gather to worship. We praise God for being here. Now that's interesting though, right? Interesting. It's interesting because scripture in our everyday life confirms what? They confirm that God is everywhere. And quite often when we gather to worship, God is here already. In fact, isn't it usually we the ones who need to enter into the presence? Isn't it usually his presence is already here awaiting us, and we must be the ones who set aside all the things that distract us? God is already here. So when we say when two or three are gathered, and there I am in the midst, Jesus is already there. And if you look at Matthew 18, the passage isn't talking about worship. So then what does Jesus' reminder mean? When two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. See, there in Matthew 18, the Lord is talking about how we behave when conflict arises. The Lord is reminding us that, hey, dear children, I am everywhere. You know that already. But even when there is conflict, there I am in the midst of you two who are gathered. Now, this should be, more, this should be both frightening, right, but also life-giving. It scares me because whenever I have had a conflict, I too easily forget that God was there in the midst. But it should also be life-giving because in conflict, there Jesus is in the midst. And to be honest, this is how we work out our nonviolent resolution of conflict. We must remind ourselves that Jesus is there with and for us. We must take the time to intentionally let Jesus be heard. We must take the time to, to let our words and our actions praise God. We must take the time that, that he is glorified through our words and through our actions. And here's the thing. If we are to follow the example of Christ, it means that we have to value each life. And it seems kind of menial to say value each life in conflict. But if that's your sister and brother, if that's someone you love, if that's someone that you will always be there for. You know, the greatest, the greatest earthly example I've seen in the conflict is when two people decide that no matter what, we're in this together then everything else becomes smaller. Because if you're not sure you're in this together, we poke a little deeper, don't we? If we're not sure we're in this together, even the things that we don't mean to say that hurts, it hurts even more. The greatest way I've seen for you to get through any kind of conflict is to make a long-standing commitment that we are in this together. Because if you're in this together, you can work it out. And I'll tell you right now, according to Jesus Christ, we're in this together. And if we're in this together... It is our job to work it out. See, as Tim and the rest of the team comes up, I just want to share two scriptures I think is really, really helpful in this. If we are supposed to follow the example of Christ, it means that we value each other in conflict. It means that we, when we find ourselves in conflict with, if we follow the example of Jesus, we can be peacemakers. Then in conflict, when conflict comes, we will forgive. When conflict comes, we will be intentional to understand. When conflict comes, we will be reconcilers. You know, our world may scream that in conflict, violence and aggression is the answer. But remember, Jesus says no. Our sisters and brothers, if we desire to be disciples, if we desire to honor what it means to be a child of God, if we desire to live for the glory of our God and King, then we will be peacemakers. David the psalmist reminds us, also invite the um, intercessors to come up, David the psalmist reminds us this, whoever of you loves life and desires to see good day, many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Sisters and brothers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. May we seek peace and pursue it. Because we are the peacemakers in this world. We are the children of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and praise him this morning.
1: We're going to sing all who are thirsty. Please join us. to the fountain. sing home
0: help us to be your peacemakers in our world. Lord, we pray that when conflict comes, there you are in the midst. And Lord, help that to not just scare us, but help that to empower us. Help that to know that we are called to shine our lights. So Lord, help us this morning to promote forgiveness and to forgive. Help us this morning to take the time to understand one another. Help us this morning to be reconcilers. Help us this morning to commit to you and commit to following the example of Jesus Christ who says, my way is peace, for I am the Prince of Peace. So Lord, bless your people this morning. And where there is conflict, Lord, we pray for peace. And where there is hurt, Lord, we pray for forgiveness. And where there is anything that we need from you, we pray that we're filled up. Lord, if we're thirsty, you fill us up. If we're hungry, you fill us up. And Lord, we pray now that you bless your people. And as we go out this week and for the rest of our lives, let us be seen as peacemakers in our world, in our families, in our workplaces, and with the people in our everyday scenes. God bless you and help us to bless you by how we live, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.